Okay, good evening everyone, thank you for coming. Ready or not, here we go. So this week, today is a Yom Tev also, Yud Beis and Yud Gimel Tamas, Yom Tev. So Lachaim, like this Chag Ha'Geula, the Yom Tev of Redemption. The previous Chabad Rebbe came out of jail today, invigorated Judaism, overcame the, the battle of the communism that wanted to wipe out Yiddishkeit, and Judaism triumphed and was victorious. And as a result of that, all the continued work of being bringing Jews closer to Yiddishkeit, spreading light and Torah across the entire world, unbelievable. And this is all the power, it's a Yom Tev, that comes in the end of days, and it comes in the month of Tammuz, because Tammuz represents the exile, to flip the exile and to make the Golos into the most brightest light, as from the Golos itself will come Mashiach, will come the light of the Giyula. So um, this week's shir was dedicated by Rabbi Naftali and Mrs. Fagi Astulin, and this is in honor of Mrs. Astulin's father's yardside, Reb Tzemach ben Reb Yitzchak, the son of the famed Reb Yitzchak, Reb Itcha Masmid, whose yardside will be Hashem, this Sunday on the 18th of Tammuz. May his neshama have a great aliyah to the greatest of heights. May he come back down here where all neshamas will be, Hashem, reincarnated in bodies by the coming of Moshiach. Which, of course, is the subject of tonight's class. Tonight's class subject is Moshiach. Why? Because Shabbos is Shavasa Betamuz. Shavasa Betamuz is the beginning of the exile. The Golos, darkness, three weeks of darkness. But the good part is it comes out on Shabbos. When it comes out on Shabbos, it means we have the ability to flip the fast over to, um, to make it that it shouldn't be a fast, because we're not going to fast on Shabbos. So even though it's Shavasa Betamuz, we're not going to fast because on Shabbos you don't fast. Not only are we not going to fast, we're going to have a big party, because Shabbos you're supposed to have a big party. Supposed to enjoy Shabbos, have delight in Shabbos. And therefore, the fast, if Chas Vashalom Mashiach doesn't come, gets pushed off to Sunday. But the real meaning of the fast getting pushed off to Sunday means that we have greater potential this year than in other years to do away with both Shavasab Tammuz, the 17th of Tammuz, and Tishabav, and do away with Tishabav. And how do we do that? How do we do that? We do that by uncovering the panemius. How does the gullus go away? Not by eliminating it. The gullus goes away by uncovering the divine light that's in the gullus itself. How do, you tr- how do you ultimately, what's the victory of Mashiach? Is that he will, he will uncover the spark of God in all his enemies. He will transform the enemies themselves to be allies to Kedusha. So there isn't the possibility of anybody ever, 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 ever uh, making trouble again. Because everything was converted. Everything was transformed. Not overpowered, transformed. So the Golos also gets 
gets destroyed, or the, or the when we when we when we dig deeper into the premius of the intention of God in Gullus, what's the Abishter's intention in the exile? We uncover that it's a greater love from Hashem to the Jewish people, and also when we are in exile, we can uncover godliness without divine assistance from above. We can do it from below, and in order for something to be lasting and permanent and be real, it has to come from us. Anything that we're given a gift will only last as long as the gift is with us. It's not really ours. In order for us to own holiness, in order for us to, 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 to permanently have it, we have to own it. In order to own it, we have to work on it from within ourselves. And that's what the whole Gullus is all about. 2,000 years when Hashem kind of moves behind the scenes so we can connect to Him from within our own space, from within our own journey. And we have to find our own journey. That's the journey of tshuva. When Hashem gives us the Torah for thousands of years, we're operating on tradition. Tradition is great, but it's passed on from above. It's given to you. The main purpose over here is not that it should be given to you. You should dig within your own soul and figure out how meaningful how meaningful and true and real Hashem is to you and you can't be without Him and you connect to God from within your own heart from within your own soul and then you cannot abandon God because He's yours and that's the whole Gullus and that's why by the way I spoke about this earlier the Gullus begins on the fourth month because the number and, and the fast is called in the, in the Navi it's called Tsoim Haravi'i the fourth fast the fast of the fourth month because number four represents the space, our space. Three represents the space of the giver, the, the channeling of light, God, and all the channels of divine influence is related to number three. That's why the Torah is given on the third month. Number four represents the space of the recipient, our space. The whole reason there is exile is that we should come to a connection to Hashem from within the darkness, where the Abishter is kind of not imposing his, himself on us, where he's hiding. And yet we're Jewish because we choose to be Jewish. And that's the uniqueness of our generation. That's the uniqueness of the Deir of Moshiach. That's the, gener- the uniqueness of what we've accomplished throughout all the exile. And that's the reason why um, the fast is called the fast of the fourth month. Where we have to get the second pair of luchas. The luchas that we get comes after Shavasa Batamas. The first tablets break because they're given from above. They're not necessarily lasting. They won't stick. Because we're, we're only being holy because God is making us holy. He's forcing us to be holy. He's forcing us not in a bad way. He's forcing us with love. He's forcing us with light. He's compelling us. That's nice. That's great. But that's not us. So we have to go through the darkness. We have to get the second tablets. Second luchas. The ones that come through, throughout us doing tshuva. We're in the dumps. We're broken. We're, we have nothing to, to hold on to. And yet, somehow and somewhere, we, we, we fight our way back like a salmon fly, uh, 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 swimming upstream back to our source. And that's the Chiddush of Golos, that's the Chiddush of the fourth month of Tzoyim Arvi. And that's the Pneumius of it. And once we reveal that, then we realize there was never bad intentions. God wasn't beating us, He wasn't hurting us. He wanted us to grow up. So we realize then that what happened to us on the 17th of Tammuz, which is happening this Shabbos, was never bad to begin with. It looked bad. It looked like abandonment. It looked like Hashem is running away from us. But in truth, He was just prodding us for deeper heights and for a much deeper, lasting, permanent connection. 
So in a regular year, you don't really sense it. You sense more the brokenness. You sense more the darkness. You sense more the fast, the horror. But when it comes out on Shabbos, since Shabbos is all about panemius, it says that all week long, God creates the world through speech, through the name of Elohim. The name of Elohim is the name of constriction. What does speech do? Speech makes us feel independent, separated from Him. Because when you talk, what happens to the words that you talk? Those words go out of you. You're speaking to someone else outside of you. But when you're thinking, you're thinking inside of yourself. So it says an amazing thing. During the week, Hashem enlivens the world through speech. So therefore, we feel so much more apart, separated from God. And on Shabbos, Hashem enlivens us through thought. On Shabbos, Hashem thinks us into existence, not speaks us. And when we are thought into existence, we are so much more in tune with His truth in our existence. We're so much more in tune with the purpose of existence as He sees it. And that's why it says on Shabbos, hear these words, when we, when we, when we make Shabbos, when we say, Vayachal Elohim. Simply it means that Elohim, God completed His work, but the deeper meaning, Vayachal Elohim, Elohim ends. Elohim are all the constrictions, all the hiding, all the hester upon Him, all the concealments which come from the chitzonius, from the external, that ends. Kivoy Shavas, Hashem himself, Yutke Vavke, which is the Pneumius, the Tetragrammat, and God himself, as he's higher than all veils and concealments, reveals himself. Since Shabbos is the day when Pneumius comes out, when the internal, when the innermost reveals itself, for that reason, when Tish, when Tisha B'av this year comes out on Shabbos, Shavasa Thomas comes out on Shabbos, we're able to peel away the, extern, the external negative and uncover the internal pneumias. That's why this Shabbos is a real segula to break the gullus completely and to uncover the love that has been there all along. It's interesting, we spoke that number four represents the lowest of worlds. It's the space of the recipient. And I remember I mentioned it two, three weeks ago, I just want to add an interesting point. There are four worlds. In Kabbalah, there are four worlds corresponding to the four letters of God's name. First one is Atzilus, purely divine. Second one is Bria. It's already a creation, but very, very spiritual, lofty creation, a world of souls. The next one is Yetzirah, a world of formation, which is also a very spiritual world, a world of angels. They are all channels. They all channel energy. They're not meant to be the final station. This physical world is the bowl at the bottom. This is the receptacle. It receives. It doesn't give. It receives the light from above. It's the recipient. That's number four. Now, it's interesting. When the transmission ends and you have the space of the receiver, the receiver, especially if he's created, he or she is created to be independent, can make the wrong choices. Can use the energy and the blessings that God gives us to use it for what? God forbid for corrupted things. So that's why in the, in the order of the worlds, it says, L'chvaydi for my honor, Barasiv I created it, Yitzartiv, I formed it. L'chvaydi is referring to the first world, Atzilos, it's called my honor, because it's part of Hashem. Barasiv, I created it. Yitzartiv, I formed it. And then it says, Asisiv, I made it, the last world. But between the world Yitzartiv and Asisiv, there's one word, Af. Now, Af means I also made it. I also completed it. But hear the depth over here. The word Af is an interruption. It's an interruption. Why? Because the higher worlds, they flow one from the other. They evolve. One world evolves from the next. 
Since one world is very closely connected to the previous world, that world and all the inhabitants of that world are conscious of their predecessors, of the previous energies. Since our world is created after an interruption, with the word af, here this this Gavaldic idea Hasidus says, with the word af, I also, the fact that there is also an also over there means an interruption. That's what makes this world so godless, so disconnected. As a result of that godlessness, as a result of that detachment, out of that disconnect, that's why there can be evil in this world. Negativity, darkness, suffering, pain, horror, all this stuff. That's why the word af, which means interruption, also means wrath and anger. Af is a very bad thing. Af means angry. V'chara api, my anger, my wrath will be ignited. Af means anger. Because this world is interrupted from God, that's the reason why there's a lot of anger down here. There can be negativity. But the word af has another meaning. Af means also. When you say also, it means to add something, something more, something more. Because the whole idea of this dark world, where there is all kinds of dangerous elements lurking in every corner, where we are faced with powers that seem to interfere with our divine mission, where we're distracted, we're up against blockages, where we have concealments, where we have doubts, where we have questions, where we have confusion, where we have falls, where we have uh, a lot of breakage and darkness, all these things that we have in our world, when we fix this world, when we connect this world, when we discover God within all that abandonment, within what we in that concealment, within all the horrors and difficulties of this world, we turn the darkest of worlds into a magnificent garden for God. You know what happens then? We discover a certain depth of God's truth that isn't revealed in all four worlds, and all three are prior worlds. Af means also even what is higher than Chvoidi. Chvoidi is the first world, the manifestation of God, but that's not the Ein Sof, it's not the infinite. Only in the Asisiv, only in this Af, only in this world that gets us so angry, only in a life where there has so much frustration, so much difficulty, so much. But if we don't lose our balance and we remain focused, especially the world that also includes exile, and exile after exile after exile after exile. As we said before, such seems to be God's wrath and anger, which brings all kinds of other wrath and anti-Semitism and pogroms and suffering and pain and all the darkness that there is in the world, ultimately through the fixing and the correcting of all of this, through the Torah and mitzvahs, af, we will receive something higher than all four worlds, which is God Himself. And where is He discovered? Not in the spiritual realms above, but anasia in the lowest world. That's why the, the Medrash says an interesting thing. That we were beaten with the word af. We were beaten with the word af. It says in Echa, it says some word over there that, we, that a God with His anger hurt us. And we will be comforted with the word af as well. So the af is both a beating and a comfort. And on which dimension is that? On the fourth dimension. In the fourth plane, that's where all of this happens. So now, now, so what do you have in our, four, that's, that's Chodesh Revi, that's the fourth month. The fourth month, which corresponds to the fourth world. 
See, this is the space where we're, we're on our own. The fourth world. The pl- and, and what happens to us, Taka, when we enter into this fourth world? It's a horrible fall. It's a danger. But what's God's intentions in the fall? What is the deeper reason? And what comes out of after all of that? Only the good. That's the premius in the fall. That's the premius in the, in the challenge, in the darkness. That's revealed on Shabbos. Because that's the case... Because that's the truth. When does the Golas begin? Which day of Thomas does the Golas begin? On the 17th of Thomas. The exile begins on the 17th of Thomas. 17 is the gematria of Tov. Tov means good. What does that mean? How can the Golas, the horror, the darkness, the breaching of the walls of Jerusalem begin with start? The first day is the gematria of the day is tov, is good. The number of the day, 17th of Tammuz, tov Tammuz. The answer is it's really good, it's a higher good. It's a good that's so hidden it took 2,000 years to realize the goodness that we're beginning to see now. Hasidus reveals the goodness in it as a preparation for Mashiach. So the good is only in the gematria. Gematria means the number, the external part of the day is good. Meaning internal, but it's something that seems to be secondary to it. On, 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 on just, just experiencing as it is, it's painful, it's horror. But really, the good is there. Tov, it's good. But it's a good that we'll have to dig in order to get to it. So by who else do we find the number 17? Where else do we find the number 17? Well, we find it by Yosef. When the Torah tells us the story of Yosef, it begins also, Yosef was 17 years old. The Torah finds it the most important thing about Yosef that he's, four, that he's 17 years old. Yosef ben Shva Reishana. <laughs> well, let's take a look at Yosef. How many forefathers do we have? Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Three. They're the channels of the divine. Yosef is the fourth. Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov. Because who's the main son of Yaakov? Ela tells us Yaakov, Yosef. That's why when we start reading about Yosef, what do we immediately encounter? Yosef going down to Egypt. He's going down to a dark place. He's going into exile. He's the first Jew going to exile. He's becoming severed from the connection. He's, his oxygen cords are cut off. He's in the dark. He has to fight his way through prison, through darkness. He's sold as a slave. And through the darkness, what happens? He rises and he becomes the ruler of all of Egypt, saving his family, saving his, his, his... And ultimately, paving the way for the Jewish people to come down to Mitzrayim, and paving the way for Yetzirah Mitzrayim, and paving the way for the giving of the Torah. It's all in Yosef. The fourth dimension. He's the fourth one. He corresponds to the month of Tammuz. How old was he? 17. Because it's really good. It's tov. It's good. And what does it mean, the word Yosef? The word Yosef is the same meaning like the word af. Af means also, to add something. Yosef means lahosef, to add. That means it's good. Everything was good. But God says, I know it's good. But I want it to be infinitely better. That's lahosef, to add. Infinitely better. You have to go through the darkness. And when it comes out on Shabbos, all that is revealed. It's incredible. 
So we really, really need to reveal the panemius. This week it becomes even greater and easier to reveal the panemius because the panemius of Golos is Mashiach. The panemius of the exile, the inner purpose of the exile is the light of Mashiach. So in Parshas Bolok in this week's Torah portion, we have the prophecies regarding Mashiach. From the entire Torah, in this week's parsha, we have the prophecy regarding Mashiach. When Rambam wants to talk about where do we know from the Torah the coming of Mashiach, Rambam says, Now the Rambam says an interesting thing. The Rambam says, first you know it from Deuteronomy, from Devarim and Etzavim. In Etzavim over there, in Parshas Netzavim, it says that the Jewish, uh, God will scatter the Jewish people amongst the nations, but in the end of days you will do tshuva, you will repent and God will bring you back. But there it doesn't say a Moshiach. It says Hashem will do it. Then the Ramam continues and the Ramam says, but you should know, how do we know that there will be a Moshiach himself who is going to you know, re, be a king and, and reestablish the, 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 the David HaMelech's kingdom? We know it from Parshas Balak, from the prophecy of Bilam. This week in the parsha, Bilam, who is a wicked, wicked man, but he's a prophet. And Balak, who is the king of Moab, is terrified because the Jewish people are encroaching upon his territory. And he doesn't know that the Jewish people were warned by God not to, not, to, um, not to trespass into his territory and not to conquer him. He's afraid that the Jews are going to mow him like mowing a lawn. Mowing the Moabs. He's terrified. So what does he do? He hires, and he knows, he knows the Jewish people cannot be beaten militarily because he realizes that their power is not physical strength. If their power would have been physical strength, he would hire, he would hire big armies. What do they call it? Mer, 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 uh, mercenaries. He would hire fighters that they would come help him fight. But he knows their power is in their connection to God, so he wants to use spiritual powers to beat them. So he hires someone who has spiritual powers, and that's Bilam. Bilam was 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 a superstar. In, 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 in wickedness and the ability to be able to stimulate forces of darkness forces of, of wrath and anger and to even evoke within God anger and wrath and bring about a curse upon the Jewish in the end it didn't work out God took made Bilam Bilam went he uttered curse he wanted to utter curses but only blessings came out of his mouth after the whole story is over and Balak is so frustrated and Bilam feels so ashamed he made, a, he made a fool out of himself. In the end, he didn't curse them, he only blessed them. And Bullock is so angry at him. It's the first time in his life that he wasn't successful. So in order to like kind of wanting to calm things down, he tells Bullock, he wants to tell him that the Jewish people, even if they will harm the Moabites, they won't harm you now. Currently, for the time being, you are safe and sound. The Jewish people are not coming to harm you. He says, however, let me tell you some future events that are going to happen to them in the way far off time. And he goes on to speak of kings and powers that will rise from the Jewish people and how they will affect the nations of the world. They will conquer nations after nation and eventually they will conquer the whole world. See, he's speaking about the vision of Israel in the future, of the Jewish people in the future. And this is the source in Torah, the most explicit source in Torah, about the kingdom of Moshiach. 
So now, I would like to share with you a little technical. I gave you the, usually I give you the inspiration at the end of the class. This time I gave you the inspiration at the beginning of the class. And what I'd like to do now is to just clarify Mashiach from the parsha. Real clarity. And the reason why we want to do that is because the more we can crystallize and clarify Mashiach by speaking about it from this microphone, you hearing it, and taking this knowledge, and then hopefully this reaching hundreds of people online and so on and so forth, the more Moshiach's, Moshiach is spoken of and revealed and discussed as he is rooted in Torah, as it is divine prophecies, the more we crystallize Moshiach in the world. The more we crystallize Moshiach in the world, the more he's revealed, the exile itself withers and falls apart, gives away to the light and to the, and the dominion of the King Moshiach. So what I'd like to do is, today, based on the Lubavitcher Rebbe's teaching, I would like to um, um, compare the, the interpretation of these prophecies that Bilam says um, from the perspective of Rambam and from the perspective of Rashi. Rashi and Rambam, the two greatest, common, one is a great commentator and Rambam is a great codifier. So these two giants of giants both read these psukim and both relate that in these verses, in these prophecies, it's talking about Moshiach, the anointed one. However, they have differences in how they understand the verses, in that, in that because both of them notice that in these verses there are references both to King David, to David HaMelech, and to Moshiach. However, they differ in which verses are referring to David HaMelech and which, which verses are referring to Moshiach. Now there are other commentators, by the way. Let's reach, let's from one, we'll broaden this for a second. Nachmanides, Ramban, he learns that all these prophecies, whatever Bilam said to Balak, before he left, he said, let me tell you what's going to happen to this nation and to your, in the end of days. According to Ramban, when he says end of days, he means end, end days, which is currently now. And who is he speaking? And he says, and they're all referring to the Moshiach, to King Moshiach, right? To the Messiah, to Moshiach. According to Ramban, Nachmanides. According to Ibn Ezra, okay, another great commentator of Chumash, he learns that all these psukim, all these verses, and all these prophecies are referring to King David. Only to King David. Not mentioning at all Moshiach. That's Ibn Ezra. Rambam, Maimonides, and Rashi both learn that it's referring to both to King David and to Moshiach but completely different. So I'd like to, 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 to explain what's the difference between Rambam and what's the difference between Rashi. And it's really, really, really gishmak, but it is technical. But uh, that's what Torah is, technical. We'll get into the details and understand it. So bear with me. I made copies so that you can follow along, see it inside, so that... Uh, and if you're listening, if you're listening um, online and you don't have the physical copies that I made... I would recommend taking out the Chumash and looking at the, at the Rashi's that I'm going to read. This is in Parshas Bolak, right in the end here. Um, in the book of Numbers, par, um, chapter 24, verses 17. I'm starting with verse 17. Again, chapter 24, Perik Chav Dalid, Pasuk Yud Zayin. Oh, we spoke about number 17. Pasuk Yud Zayin, 17. From 17 through 19. It's not much, only three verses. And these three psukim, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna discuss these psukim. 
And I would also recommend if you get if you have if you have access, you can get it online also. Look at Chabad.org, or you can get Mishnah Torah of the Rambam, chapter eleven. Rambam chapter eleven. I made you a copy of that as well. And in the Laws of Kings, this is the second to the last chapter in the book of Rambam. And over here, we're going to take a look at the difference. Both of them read these verses and they read it differently. Okay? So let's first read Rambam. And then we'll go back. Let me first read the verses. I'll read, I'll, let me first read the Pesukim. So again, Bilam says to Balak, and I'm going to, give me a second. Um, let's go back to Pesukim, to, 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 to Pasuk, verse number 14. You have it in your copy as well. Va'ata, he says by Shavi, this is by the seventh reading on Shabbos this week. Va'ata, and now, I'm going to my people. Let me advise you. And what this people will do to your people, what the Jewish people will do to your people, to the Moabites, in the end of days. Okay? Now we skip two verses. Let's go to number 17, where he actually begins the prophecy. And he says as follows. Erenu, I see him. Who do I see? I see the Jewish people. I'm having a prophecy. I'm seeing something. But Veloy Atta, I see him not now. I see him in a long, long time from now. I see him. Ashirenu, I perceive him. Veloy Karov, but it's not close. I see him at a faraway time. Dorach Koychov Miyakov, a star will shoot forth from Jacob, from Yaakov, Yaakov, the Jewish people. A star will shoot forth from Yaakov. Vikam Shavit. And it will get up, come, and it will stand up, shave it, a ruling power, an authority. Shave it means actually a staff. A, and, and a king, a ruling power, rules by the staff. Come, shave it, and a, and a ruling power will rise, me Yisrael from Israel. And he will beat, passe Moav, the princes of Moav, the Karkar, and he will uproot all the children of Seth, of Shase. Who's Shase? That means all of humanity. He will, he will uproot humanity. He will shake up the entire world. Why? Because Shase, let me tell you who Shase is. Shase is the son of Noah. Sorry, Shase is the son of, of Adam. Adam has three sons. Adam has three sons. Cain and Abel, Cain and Hevel. So we know Hevel was killed before he had children. So all, all human beings in the world are either descendants of Cain, Cain, or the descendants of Shays. Now, but that was until the flood. Once the flood came and wiped out humanity, all the descendants of Cain were wiped out. Because they all died. The only survivor was Noah. Noah was a descendant from who? From Shays. So that means all living beings that are alive today are who? Children of Shays. All the nations. So it says over here, Vekarkar, and he will, and he will uproot... Let me show you how he translates karkar. And he will undermine. Oh, the karkar and he will undermine kol b'nei sheis, all the children of sheis. Fine. Let's continue further. Vaya edoim yeresha. Edoim will be, will be his inheritance. To, to, the Jew, to, to the power of Israel, whoever that is. To the ruling power. Edom. Edom are the descendants of Esau. Yeresha are going to be his inheritance. Now Seir, which is the capital of Edom. Like we know, Esau lives on Mount Seir. So he will be, Yeresha, he will be an inheritance to who? Oivav, to his enemies. Who have been the enemies of Esau? Esau. 
Esav hated Jacob, his brother. He hated Yaakov. He hated the Jewish people. He will end up being an inheritance to Yaakov, to his enemies. The Yisrael, Oisachoyel, but the Jewish people, but Israel, but Israel will prosper. Oisachoyel, the Jewish people will prosper. And then he continues, V'yerd Miyakov, and a ruler will come out of Jacob. V'yerd means a dominant ruler will come out from Yaakov. V'hevid, and he will destroy, he will annihilate, sarid, any remnant Meir from the city. Which city will soon see? He will destroy a remnant without any survivor from the city. Who that is, we'll see in a moment. These are the three verses of the prophecies. So let's take a minute, a look at Rambam. How does Rambam learn these verses? So in the second page I made you, we have a, 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 um, a, a copy from, the, from Mishneh Torah, and I am now quoting, you see chapter 11, Perek Achad Asr, you don't have it in English, but you only have it in Hebrew, but um, chapter Perek Achad Asr, in Halacha Aleph, in law number one, and now um, I am learning one, two, three, four, five lines from the wide lines, okay, the, the, the middle gets wide, and on five lines, the word begins with the word af. Huh? We were talking about af before the whole time. The word, the line begins with the word af, and I'm starting by that word. Af peparsha's bilam nemar also in the parsha of bilam it says, Visham niba bishneha meshichim, and over there he prophesizes about the two mashiachs. He prophesizes about the two anointed ones. That bilam is speaking about two anointed beings. The mashiach harishan, who is the first mashiach? Shehu David, he's the first anointed one, that's King David. Shoishiyas Yisrael Meyatzareem, he saved the Jewish people from their oppressors. King David fought back against the enemies of Israel. Israel was suffering a lot from the Philistines and from others, and King David fought off all their enemies. And then he's talking about the, the, final, the final anointed one. Sheyamoid Mibonov, who is going to arise from the children of King David. Of David Amelech, he will help the Jewish people from the descendants of Esav. Okay, so far we know we're talking about two Mashiachs. Interesting, Rambam refers to both Mashiachs, David and and Mashiach as Mashiachs. They're both Mashiachs, anointed one. Oimer. Now Rambam begins to to explain the verses. I see him and not now. Zehu David. A beginning when he says, I see him and not now, it's referring to David. Because David is not now. He's in the not such far future. From Bilam's days, David was a thousand years later, or something like that. Maybe less. So therefore, I see him, that's a little less than a thousand years, it's about a few hundred years. I see him, but not now. That's David. Asherenu, I perceive him, but he's not close. That's talking three and a half, three thousand years later. Three and a half thousand years here. Zeha Melech HaMashiach. That's referring to the Melech HaMashiach. And you'll see what Rambam does is he splits every single Pasuk in half. The first half is referring to King David. second half is talking about Mashiach. Let's begin. Dorach Koychav Yaakov. A star will shoot forth from Yaakov. Zehu David. That's King David. V'kam Shevet Mi Yisrael. And a ruling power will rise from Israel. Zeha Melech HaMashiach. This is King Mashiach. 
Shanemar boy, because by Mashiach it says, what does it say? It says he will be a ruler. Shanemar boy, by Mashiach it says, Umeshaloi, and his dominion, Miyam el Yam, will be from sea to sea. It means across the world. Next, Vahoya Edom Yeresha, and Edom will be an inheritance. That's David, because David conquered Edom. It says, I think in Malachim, it says that Edom became to King David for to servants. That means he conquered the Edomites. Then the second half of the verse, that Seir, which is the mountain of Esau, of Esau, is going to be an inheritance to his enemies. Who's that referring to? That's King Mashiach. And by Mashiach, it says specifically that he will dominate on the mountain of Seir. As it says, The saviors will go up on the mountain of Zion, on the mountain of Zion, to judge the mountain of Esav. It's referring to Mashiach. That's it. So you see how Rambam divides the verses. And the Rambam doesn't explain the last Pasuk. The Yerd Miyakov, that Pasuk, the Rambam doesn't explain. But on the first two verses, Rambam splits it in half. The first half referring to David, the second half referring to Moshiach. Rashi also splits these psukim in half, referring to David and to Moshiach, but Rashi has a different split. Not a vertical split, Rashi has a horizontal split. And what I mean is, Rashi learns the first two psukim, the first two verses are referring to David HaMelech, and only the last Pasuk is referring to Mashiach. So instead of dividing the Pasuk this way, half going to David, half Mashiach, half David, half Mashiach, half David, half Mashiach, the Ramam does three, three times, this David, this Mashiach, this David, this Mashiach, this David, this Mashiach. What, Ram, what Rashi does is, the first few Pasukim are speaking about an earlier leader, and the last Pasuk is speaking about Mashiach. Let's read Rashi. On the Pasuk, um, let's start with 17. Rashi 17. So you have the Rashi in front of you. 17 is the third line from the bottom of the first paragraph of Rashi. Arenu, I see him. So Rashi says, I see the praise of Yaakov. I see Yaakov's greatness. But it's not now. It's going to happen after a time. It's going to happen at a future time. Ketarguma, like the Targum says, Darach Koychov, Rashi says, Lashon Darach Kashtoi. The word Darach, it comes from the word shooting forth, like a person shoots an arrow. When a person shoots an arrow, the person would step on the bow. You step on the bow in order to create tension. On the arrow, you step, you're talking about a large, not a little bow and arrow that they shoot on like Bomer, but the big, a big bow and arrow. That they, so what they do is, the archer would step with his leg on the bow to create more power as he pulls back. It creates tension, and then it shoots forth. And why do we say that a star shoots? Because when you see a shooting star, it looks like it's been shot by an arrow. Because a star, passes like, a, like an arrow. What does it mean? An old French, it's distinct, whatever that is. But how does Rashi translate the meaning of the word Dorach Kochav? We'll soon see. It doesn't mean a ruler, according to Rashi. It means Yakum Mazel. Good fortune will rise for Israel. A time will come when the fortune of the Jewish people will rise. Yakum Mazel. The Mazel, the good, the good fortune will rise for the Jewish people. The come shave it. And then it will get, get up a ruler, Melech Rode Umoshel, a king that, that rules. That's called Shevet. A Shevet, 
who rules with a stick. Meaning, it means a dominant power is a king. And what will he do? So it's interesting. Rashi doesn't say we're talking about two kings so far. Rashi says the, 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 the mazel of the Jewish people will rise. There will be a king. And what will this king do? Umachat pasim Moav. Zeo David, this is David. So Rashi learns that the first Pasuk is entirely talking about David. Not like Rambam who says, Darach Koychav is referring to David. Come shave it. Uh, 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 a ruler will rule from Israel is referring to Mashiach. Rambam is dividing it. Rashi says, no, it's all referring to David. Because by David, Rashi brings a Pasuk from Shmuel. It says, Beferish, it says specifically that David HaMelech killed, killed the Moabites. Shanemar boy, it says, Hashkev oisam arza, David Amelech commanded they shall lie them out on the floor. And he had a string. Two thirds of the string he killed, anybody that was within the first two thirds of the string. And the last third of the string, those were the survivors. Why did King David do so? You look in, in thing. David Amelech, they killed his family. The Moab people, when his family was vulnerable, they killed David's father, they killed David's mother, and they killed David's brothers. So now at this point, David avenged the blood of his family, he killed two-thirds of those that were there on the ground, one-third he allowed to survive, maybe because they allowed one brother of his to live. Whatever it was, that's, that's the story. So Rashi says, so you see, that David HaMelech is, is going to be the one who's finally going to punish Moab. Fine. V'karkar, now the, the Pasuk continues and it says, V'karkar kol so Rambam says on the words Vakarka Kobane Sheis that that's referring to Mashiach. That Mashiach is gonna uproot, he's gonna um, what was the word he used over here? He's gonna undermine, oh no, he's gonna uproot all the all the children of Sheis, referring to Mashiach, who's gonna dominate all, all of humanity. R- Rashi continues learning that this is referring to King David. And what is v- and therefore Rashi says, what's Vakarkar mean? Vakarka doesn't mean uprooting. Rashi means it means he's gonna poke a hole. Making a hole, which means to create a, a, a to dig in. You dug a pit, whatever. It means to dig out, to, 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 uh, to, to make a, 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 to poke something and to, and to dig into something. That means he's gonna dig, he's gonna dig in to all the nations. Okay. Who? Kobane Shays, Kola Umais, all the nations. Fine. But so far, there's no mention of Mashiach yet in Rashi. This is all still what David is going to do. Now, Seir is going to be his inheritance. Rashi says, to his enemies, the Jewish people. Okay. Again, nothing about David. I'm sorry, nothing about Mashiach. Where does Mashiach come into the picture according to Rashi? In the last Pasuk. It says, and a dominant ruler will come forth from Yaakov. Yerd, and a ruling power, a domineering being will come. So Rashi says, There will be another ruler, besides the ruler that we mentioned before, which is King David, there's going to be another ruler of Yaakov. And what is he going to do? The Hevid Sarid Meir. He's going to destroy the remnant from the city. Which city? Rashi says, Meir HaChashuva, from the most important city, from a very, very honorable, from a very important, you know, uh, great city, Shel Edom. What is the most important city of Edom? The he Romi, and that's Rome. Okay? So he is going to destroy the remnants from Rome. And they're referring to, 
That's, uh, that's why the Pasuk says Meir, from the city. doesn't say which city. Rashi tells you it's Rome. And then Rashi says, and what is he going to do? Valmelech HaMashiach Oimer. And this is referring to King Mashiach. Now Rashi says, you're wondering who that second ruler is. That's Mashiach. Because by Mashiach it says two things. Shanam Raboy, it says, V'yerd miyam ad yam, he will rule from city to city. Sorry, from sea to sea. That's a Pasuk in Tehillim, that Mashiach will rule from sea to sea. And the second one, V'lo yesarid labeis Esav, there will not be a remnant to the house of Esav. It uses the same words. There won't be a remnant. And who's going to refer... And this is a Pasuk in Oivadia referring to Mashiach. So you see that it's Mashiach is the one that is referring to in our Pasuk over here that it says a remnant will be destroyed from the city. Who's the one who destroys the remnant from the city of Esav? That is Mashiach because it says in Oivadia that there won't be a remnant to the house of Esav when, when Mashiach will come. Good, that's Rashi. So I'm going to ask you now a couple of questions on this Rashi. Meaning to see why does Rashi split it horizontally and not vertically. Not like Rambam. Even though it would seem that the verses would fit better in Rambam's view. And let me tell you why it seems to be better according to Rambam. Because according to Rambam, there's no redundancy in these verses. The verse, you realize every single Pasuk is speaking almost, the first two Pasukim keep on speaking in double language. I see him and not now. I behold him, but not close. A ruler will, a, a, a star will shoot forth from Jacob, and a, a ruling power will rise from Israel. Um, he, he will, um, the, 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 and he will, he will smite the princes of Moab, and he will uh, uh, uproot all the children of Shase. Do you see? The Pasuk keeps on saying the same thing, but it's saying it in double language. Now, why are we using, re- it seems to be redundant. According to Rambam, it's perfectly fine. Because we're not, it's not redundant at all. We're talking about two different prophecies. Or it's one prophecy, but referring to two different kings. One living at the beginning of days, in the days of King David. The other one living thousands of years later. And each one has its own, its own idea. This one will only rule, rule over the princes of Moab. And this one is going to undermine the entire world. It will uproot the entire world. So, and that's why uh, you have the redundance. You have the twi- it's not redundant, that's why it's doubled. But according to Rashi, it's a little difficult. Because if it's all speaking about the same, pro- the same ruler, there's no distinction between the first half and the second half. Why is the Torah then speaking in double language? And even though you're, obviously you can answer that whenever we're, we're speaking in poetry, and obviously this is poetry, he's talking like a prophecy, he's speaking like a poet. Poetry has its own rules. In poetry, you could repeat things more than once just for it to sound poetic. So because of the poetry over here that he wants to give it a, a poetic, you know, sense, therefore he repeats it. But again, but if you can explain it better, why go that route? And when you can actually give meaning to the double. The other thing is, according to, when it says, V'karkar kol he's going to uproot is going to destroy all the children of Shase. According to Rashi, according to Rambam, makes sense. It's talking about Mashiach. Why? Perfect sense. Who's Mashiach? Mashiach is going to be, the, is going to be a global ruler. It's going to dominate all of humanity. Oh, so it makes sense. He's going to influence all the, all the children of Shase, which means all the nations. If according to Rashi, that it's referring to who? 
that it's referring to David, to King to David Amelech, because we're not yet talking about Mashiach. Until the last pasuk, we're not talking about Mashiach. Until that very last verse, Mashiach is not even discussed yet. Just talking about David. What does it mean? David Amelech never ruled over all the nations of the world. David was a king in the land of Israel. He was a very renowned, strong, powerful king, but he didn't rule over the whole world. If anything, Shlomo Melech came a little closer, but even Shlomo didn't dominate the entire planet. Mashiach is going to be a world ruler of the entire world, the greatest of kings ever and forever. So on Mashiach. And to make the question even worse, I mean stronger, is that according to Rashi, it says something so much stronger about King David, David HaMelech, than about Mashiach. Because about uh, David HaMelech, it says, V'kar karkol b'nei sheis, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna uproot all the children of sheis, which is all the nations. And regarding Mashiach, in Rashi's version, regarding Mashiach, it says only one thing. He will destroy a remnant from the big city of Rome. That's it. That's much less dominion. Okay, it's a big city of Rome. It's the important city of Rome. To conquer Rome means to conquer a world power. And to decimate it completely. Not even to leave over a remnant. Great. It's a great conquest. But you can't compare it to world dominance. To a power that rules over the entire world. So how does Rashi seems to be making, according to this, the prophecy on David HaMelech is much greater than the prophecy on Mashiach. Okay. Now, further... Furthermore, um, when Bilam says, now this question is going to be a question both on Rashi and on Rambam. When Bilam introduced his entire prophecy, what did he say? He says, let me tell you what this nation is going to do to you, ba'achrit hayamim, ba'achris hayamim, in the end of days. End of days means when? We all know end of days means end of days. That's the Messianic era. Moshiach's period. It's called end of days. Like we find by Yaakov Avinu, he also told his family, gather together and I will reveal to you what's going to happen in the end of days. We know already in the Torah what means end days. We're fortunate enough to, we're so fortunate to be living in the end of days. Even though sometimes we forget that we're living in the end of days and we're still enjoying pizza and sushi. We're forgetting that we're living in the most crucial time of all of history where all the prophets spoke about what's going to happen in front of our eyes. Literally, not what's going to happen, what's happening already. And we, then, Today's days you have to be a little sensitive and learn Hasidus and appreciate the underlying concepts of Mashiach to realize that what the prophets spoke about is actually happening. But very, very soon it's going to be start becoming stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and everybody's going to... You won't be able to ignore it anymore. Maybe we'll pull our heads out of the sushi and the pizza and, 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 and suddenly aware, be aware that, oh my, God is, in, is so spectacular now. It's so happening. But in any case, that's Achris Hayamim. If that's called end of days then how come Rashi is learning all these psukim on David HaMelech? Only the last pasuk is actually talking about the end of days. When Bilam says Beferish, explicitly that he's going to speak about end day prophecy. That's what he says. And even in Rambam, Rambam is better, at least most of the psukim are speaking about Moshiach. But even according to Rambam, half of the verses are speaking about David. The first half, horizontally, the first half of every verse is speaking about David, also not Ba'ach Rizayam. How are we going to deal with that? Next question. We continue on Rashi. But this is so beautiful. 
In addition to the brilliance of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, how he reads the Rashi, you see the brilliance of Rashi, you see the brilliance of the Rebbe, and you see how Moshiach grows out of the Torah. It's so special. But take a look further. Rashi, when does Rashi introduce Moshiach? The last Pasuk. V'yerd mi Yaakov. And a ruler, V'yerd mi Yaakov, it says, and a... Um, A, not, a, a ruler will come out of Jacob. Yerd is Malashan Redio, which, which means a ruler. Fine. So Rashi says, it will be another ruler. Another ruler will rise. What? That which is Mashiach. Another ruler. Rashi finally, at this point, says it means another ruler means Mashiach. The Yerd Miyakov. I told you before that the first two Pesukim Rashi learns about David, not about Mashiach. It's only when he gets to this third pasuk, Ve'erd Me'yakov, somehow something forced Rashi to tell you that this is talking about another ruler. The question is why? If Rashi's learning all these psukim on, on King David, what's wrong about continuing to say, Ve'erd Me'yakov, that this ruler of Yaakov will dominate? Ve'erd means he will dominate. No, there's a continuation. It's a continuation to King David's kingdom, to David HaMelech's uh, Malchus. Maybe it's King David himself. V'yerd Miyakov, and he will yar, and so and how far will he will, will he rule? The Hevet Sarid Meir, he will destroy the remnants from the city of Rome. Like what forced Rashi suddenly over here that he had to drop King David, David HaMelech, and turn to Moshiach? What is so compelling in the words V'yerd Miyakov that forced Rashi to do so? Secondly, when, when Rashi gives his pirush, look at the words, look in, 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 in Pasuk 19, on the words, V'yerd Miyakov. So Rashi quotes two words from the Pasuk. V'yerd Miyakov. And he says, and he explains, what does it mean? There will be another ruler from Yaakov. Why does Rashi have to bring the word Yaakov? He's explaining one word. He's explaining what means V'yerd. V'yerd means ruler. Redia comes from the word dominion ruler. So therefore, let him just say V'yerd, and which means there'll be another ruler. What is the idea? What does he have to quote you the word Yaakov? He's not explaining the word Yaakov. He's explaining the word V'yerd. And in the last, and in the last Rashi, and it's interesting, when Rashi says there will be another, another ruler. Rashi doesn't even say who this ruler is. The, right away, he says, the heavy, so after he explains, what does it mean he will destroy the remnant from the city, from the important city, that means Rome. Then Rashi goes back and says, that's referring to Moshiach. If, 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 you, if I was writing Rashi, or you were writing Rashi, if you were writing, you would immediately put... On the Pasuk V'yerd Miyakov in the previous Rashi, it says V'yerd Miyakov. There's going to be another ruler, Zemelech HaMashiach, which is Mashiach. Why is he waiting to the next Rashi? After he says V'hevit Sarid Meir, he's going to destroy the, 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 the superpower. I'm sorry, he's going to destroy the remnant from this powerful city of Rome. And now he says it's referring to Mashiach. Why is he waiting till after it all to tell you? And by the way, this question I forgot to say is another question the Rebbe points out. You can ask the question earlier as well. When it says... Darach Koychav Miyakov, and Rashi says, a mazel will rise, or good fortune will rise, but come shave it me, Yisrael, a king will rise. Rashi doesn't say who it is. 
Rashi only tells you who it is when he gets to the Moav. He will destroy, he will smite the princes of Moab. Then Rashi says it's David. Why doesn't Rashi say it earlier? Same question I'm having over here, I'm having over there. Rashi seems to keeping us in suspense who this ruler is. He doesn't read. Even earlier by King David he waits. And over here too he waits. Another thing, what pasuk does Rashi bring to prove that it's Mashiach? He brings a pasuk, it says, He will rule from, from sea to sea. How do you know that that's referring to Mashiach? It's a pasuk in Tehillim. It's in chapter 72 in Tehillim. Perek, I am Bez, I think. The opening verse of that chapter in Tehillim is Lishlomo to Shlomo. It's a song about Shlomo HaMelech. It's not even a song about Mashiach. Rashi in Tehillim learns that a whole psalm referring to King Solomon, to Shlomo HaMelech. And the Pasuk, Rashi says over there, he will rule from sea to sea. Rashi says, referring to Shlomo. So how do you prove over here, it's referring to Mashiach. How do you see? Rashi's bringing this as a proof. This is Mashiach because it says by Mashiach, maybe it's talking about Shlomo Melech. Another, one more question. Why does Rashi bring the conclusion of the Pasuk? Why couldn't Rashi just say, Rashi, every word is Meduyak, whatever Rashi says. Rashi, anyways, doesn't finish the Pasuk. Rashi says, not the whole verse. Because the rest of the verse is Minohar from the, from, the, from the river at Afseyaris to the four corners of the earth. But Rashi doesn't bring that. So Rashi could have just said, V'yerd miyam, v'chulu, that possible. There must be that the extra words, V'ad yam, is adding clarity. Okay. All these questions, and now a very clear understanding in all of this. I want to do it very quickly and briefly, but it's very gishmak. And the idea is as follows. I can't explain gishmak in English, for those who don't know what it means, it's a type of experience you have when you learn. Dafka Jewish studies. Okay. It's a certain sensation of delight. And, okay. So the idea is as follows. It's as follows. L'chaim. Okay, it's, it's not vodka, it's water. I couldn't give this class if I was inebriated. Um... Rashi and Rambam have a whole different take in understanding the underlying energy of this prophecy, the underlying current of this prophecy. It's a big difference. See, Rashi is coming from Pshutai Shal Mikra. Rashi is coming from a very simple interpretation of scripture of the Pasuk. In the Pasuk, why is now Balak telling, you know, Bilam, I'm sorry, Balak called Bilam to curse the Jewish people. It failed. Bilam failed. Goodbye. Go home. Balak doesn't need him anymore. Bilam put his foot in his mouth. Every time he opened up his mouth, he put his foot in his mouth. Pick yourself up and go home in shame. Why is now Bilam continuing to tell Balak when he didn't ask him anymore? And then he gives him a whole series of prayers. And he only made matters worse. He put, he put salt on the wound now. He's telling him what's going to happen. In it. So the answer is, he wanted to appease him a little bit. He wanted to make him feel a little better. Why? Because he wanted to say, you know, you think you hired me for nothing in vain. I didn't accomplish anything. I will accomplish something. 
You know, the Jewish people, you will not defeat them now. You will not defeat them. But they also won't harm you. You see, he's giving him very important information now. The Jewish people are not going to harm you now. You're safe. You were so worried that they're going to, in your lifetime, they're not going to bother you. I see in the future that they will harm you. So let me tell you that there will be a time they will harm you. I mean, it's a very important prophecy for you to know. Comes out according to Rashi, when it says over here, Achris Hayamim, it's not supposed to be understood like traditionally Achris Hayamim means the end of days. Achris Hayamim means later days as it pertains to you, Moab. Further down in history, not today, a couple of hundred years from now. That's also Achris Hayamim. It's Achris Hayamim in the relationship of the Jewish people and Moab. In a later period of time, let me tell you, then they're going to harm you. Then they're going to beat you. So therefore the question that we had before, according to Rashi, like, oh, it's not Achris Ayamim. Rashi sees from the content of this discussion that this is not, what I'm really saying is, this, this is not a prophecy about Israel. There's nothing to do. Bilam is not standing here to tell Bullock about the good fortune of the Jewish people. What's to await for them? That's not his business now. He's only speaking in as much as the Jewish people relate to, to Moab. So therefore he's telling them, you should know, now they won't harm you, they'll harm you later. Once he's speaking already about the future of the Jewish people, he already throws in a couple of things about end time prophecies as well. But that's not the main thing. That's why Rashi had no problem reading most of these psukim about a time much closer, not Achris Ayamim. Because that's the general gist. When you're reading the psukim, it makes sense that that's what he's talking about. He's talking about a closer period, not a very, very far off period. Now, and here's the crucial idea. When you get to the first expression, when he says, a star will shoot forth from Yaakov. Hear the brilliance of here. When it says a star, everybody's used to thinking that means a king. A star, like we call you know, people that are famous stars. Right? The avenue of the stars. Oh, big stars, Hollywood stars. So a star means a, you know, a great leader, a great ruler. Rashi didn't see that for a simple reason. The human being, what makes, we know that a human being is a supreme being. Okay? The human being is considered the king of the jungle. The lion is the king of the jungle, but the, the human being is the king of the planet. Why is the human being the king of the planet? Because the human being is the superior being. I know today's days, if you say human beings are superior beings, you might insult some people, you might be politically incorrect. But I'm going to say it very loud and clear. Yes, a human being is a superior being to cats and dogs and all beautiful animals that God created. They're all wonderful, they all serve a purpose. But the human being is a very special, greater being that God created. God created him, not because he did, human didn't do anything to be great, but God created him to be greater. How did God make the human being great? By bestowing upon a human being intelligence. So it's the intelligence that makes the human being a superior being. Now, amongst human beings, we have a concept of a king. Today's days, we don't have kings. Okay, we're not used to kings. But when there was a king, and there will be a king, the, who deserves to be a king? Someone who's elevated amongst human beings. That means someone who's super intelligent. Someone who has a great intellect, a great mind, and is obviously a very great heart, and a great person, and a great character, and so on and so forth. So therefore, if you're going to speak about something about a king, you want to find something that has that superior of intelligence. A star is a piece of mass or maybe gas. I don't know exactly what stars are made out of. Some kind of a, all right? Uh, it doesn't have an intelligence. Or we'll see soon, see, but simply. It doesn't have an intelligence, a star. 
So therefore, why would a star be a metaphor? The Torah is speaking metaphoric language, but why would a star be a metaphor for a king? There's no reason to say a star is a king. What, what are the characteristics of a star that make the star being, be, be compared to a king? It's definitely not an intelligent being. Now you might say, well, hold, hold it. That the star is in the sky. The fact that it's above, it's shining down from above, means superiority. So therefore a king who is above everyone else is compared to a star. Well, if that's the case, why are you picking on a star? Say the sun, the moon, these are big luminaries in the sky that, that, that show their dominance amongst the planets. I mean, at least from our observation point. We know that the sun is not the biggest star even, but from our observation point, the sun is the dominant ruler. Compared to the sun, especially according to the Torah, the stars are servants. And they're helpers to the moon. I know that this sounds strange from our perspective of science. But when God created the world, as it describes it in the Torah, it says that God made the sun be the dominant being by day. And the moon, he made him the dominant being at night. And since the moon is much smaller, and God made the moon smaller, so he appeased her by saying, I'll give you some helpers. I'm going to give you a whole bunch of little stars that are going to add light. So these are little, little servants. They help along. So there's definitely no reason to put the star as the king. If you're going to say it's because of a dominant being above, then, and, and that's why even though, where else? when we find um, Yosef in his dreams, had a dream, and he saw... Uh, the 11 stars and the sun and the moon bowing down to him. So you do see that intellectuals, important people are compared to stars. Yeah, but Yaakov is not compared to the star. The Shvatim are the stars. Yaakov is the supreme leader is compared to what? To the sun. And more than that, even there it's only important people. The king is who? The king in that story is not, the, is not Yaakov, not the sun, and not the moon, and not even the stars. Who's the king in that story? Yosef. They're all bowing down to him. And he's not compared to any of these luminaries. So in, in Torah, there's no reason to say that a star is a king. So that's the reason why no one notices. This is so amazing. You learn Rashi, you learn, don't a click of a star of power. No, Rashi says no, it's a star. So what does Rashi say means a, sh- a star will shoot for? Rashi says, hear these words. Rashi says it means Yakum Mazel. A good fortune will rise for Israel. Ah, now we understand. Stars are associated with good fortune. Because there's constellations, the mazolos, the various different constellations and configurations of the stars create the, the zodiac, they create the, 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 the horoscope. They have to do with the different signs of the stars. Stars are associated with mazel. So when it says, the star will rise, it means good fortune. In other words, the Jewish people's fortune will suddenly rise. How will it rise? It will rise, now the Pasuk continues, V'kam shevet me Yisrael. It will rise by getting a super ruler. They will get a unique ruler, and when that ruler will become ruler, he will shave it. that means a king. A staff means a king. Because a staff means someone who can dominate. He can dominate with his stick. That's the idea. A king used to have a stick to show dominance. doesn't mean he would beat people. But that's the idea that he's the power. So shevet definitely means a king. That's no problem. So again, according to Rashi, there's no redundance over here. A mazel, the good fortune of the Jewish people, will rise. How will it rise? Come, shave it. And that what? That a king. They'll have a special king. Now, who's that special king? We don't know. Rashi doesn't tell us. It doesn't, because we don't know it yet. 
Then the next Pasuk says he will smite the princes of Moab. So Rashi looks through the Navi, Rashi quickly looks through scripture, looks through prophecies, looks through Nach, and he finds who killed the Moabites. Well, that's King David. Ah, so, and he's a king. Which king killed the Moab? Not Shaul, not King Saul. But, but, but David Amel. Oh, so it's referring to David. And therefore, since it doesn't say two things, again, Koichav doesn't mean another ruler. Koichav means a, a mazel will rise for the Jewish people. The mazel will rise, and there will be a king, and this king will kill the Moabites. Now there's no reason, and then when it says a moment later that Vakar Karkob and Eishes, he will uproot the, 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 all the children of Shei, there's no reason to say it's another ruler, because it doesn't say anywhere else about another ruler. We're talking about one king. Why switch to another ruler? It's the same ruler. What will he do? Oh, but now Rashi has a problem. Because if you say Vakar Karkob and Eishes means he will uproot, he will, he will destroy all the nations, King David never ruled over all the nations. So therefore, because Rashi had that problem, Rashi has to change the meaning of the word karkar. Now Rashi doesn't change the meaning. The word karkar can mean two things. Karkar means destroy. You can destroy something can mean karkar. And karkar can also mean dig a hole. Rashi chooses that this karkar over here means digging a hole. And Rashi brings proof. You're digging a pit. Why? Because David HaMelech never destroyed the nations because he didn't have dominance of the nations but they were afraid of him he was a power so he was like digging into them he, he was provoking them they were provoked by him that's all so Rashi changes the because it means David there's no reason to say it's any other ruler so the Karkar must mean much less the Karkar means he will intimidate all the nations he will poke them that's it fine and then Rashi continues fine this is all about David now we'll stop for a moment and we'll see why by, in a moment we'll get to the, why suddenly when you get to the last words, v'yeyerd, you have to say that it's, that it is, that it is, uh, that it is, um, you know, let's do it now. I'll, I'll, I'll come to the Rambam in a minute. Okay. And then you can continue. Edom, There's no, that Esau is going to be, Edom is going to be an inheritance and Seir is going to be an inheritance. There's no reason to say that we're talking about anybody else but King David. It's all a continuation of the first star that is going to rise. Again, not a star, a mazel. The mazel of the Jewish people are going to give them this great king. Fine. When Rashi gets to the last verse and it says, V'yerd miyakov. V'yerd miyakov means a dominating force will, 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 will rule from Yaakov. Rashi over here was forced to say it's another king. Why? For a simple reason. Why is the Torah... Remember I said before, why does Rashi quote the word Yaakov? Because here's the question. Why is the Torah speaking suddenly about the ruler and saying that he's from Jacob? Not from Yisrael. If this is the same ruler that we spoke about before, weird, who did we attribute the ruler to? To Yaakov or to Yisrael? In the first Pasuk. In the first Pasuk when it said... Darach kochav mi Yaakov, shevet mi Yisrael. So which one is the king? We spoke earlier, I just mentioned you that kochav doesn't mean a king. Kochav means a mazel. You following? Balak. So the Yaakov is not, a, is not a king, it's just that good fortune will happen to the Jewish people. 
Where are we mentioning the king? Who is this king? King David. He is hinted to in the word, V'kam Shevet Mi Yisrael. That, that Shevet, the ruler, comes from Israel. If you're talking about the same ruler, it should have said, V'yerd Mi Yisrael. That that ruler will further dominate the ruler from Israel. Why are you suddenly changing and suddenly calling him a ruling power from Jacob, from Yaakov, when we earlier spoke about if it's the same ruler, then continue referring to him as you referred to him before. Again, now this rang Rashi's bells. When Rashi sees a change in the Pasuk, that the Pasuk is suddenly changing from the words Yisrael and changing it to Yaakov. And you can't say because earlier it mentioned Yaakov. Because when it mentioned earlier Yaakov, it wasn't mentioning it regarding a ruler. That was only the fortune will, will become powerful from Yaakov. But when we're talking about the actual king, that's Yisrael. It's coming from Israel. If so, it should have said, V'yerd mi Yisrael. This king, will, this king from Israel will further dominate. The fact, that's why Rashi quotes V'yerd mi Yaakov. The fact that the Torah says V'yerd mi Yaakov and leaves you, and, and suddenly giving you another, a, a different name to the ruler, this is proof that we're talking about another ruler will rise. Why is it bringing you back the name Yaakov? But that still doesn't explain why it's giving you Yaakov. You know why it says Yaakov now? Because what it's really going back is it's going back to what it said Yaakov earlier. We said earlier a star will rise. So it's saying, that means the, which means the fortune will rise. So it's saying the fortune of, of the Jewish people, of Yaakov, will rise a second time. You know what I'm saying? King David was a result of the good fortune of Israel rising. So now it's saying, we scored, we rose. I mean, the Jewish people, we had some pretty good fortune at certain points. We had a lot of darkness. We had back then, one time in our history, our good fortune rose and it gave us King David. V'yerd, there will now be a second, we know it's a second ruler, because or else it would say, V'yerd mi Yisrael. Because it's still referring to the first ruler. We know it's a second ruler, but what does it mean? V'yerd, a new force will dominate. Miyakov, from what we said earlier, what did we say earlier? That a mazel will rise from Yaakov, a good fortune will rise, the good fortune will come a second time. And when is that going to happen? Oh, that must be at a later time. And that's the reason why Rashi could not learn, learn it's King Solomon. Follow. That's actually the reason why Rashi could not say it, Shlomo Melech. Because Shlomo Melech would not be considered a new fortune, it's still a continuation of his father. You see, it's still, it's still David HaMelech, David's son is Shlomo. It's not a new good fortune, it's one continuum. Oh, but if it's talking about Mashiach, and between the two times there is a tremendous fall, and an exile, and darkness, and suffering, and all kinds of whatever, and then it will rise again, our fortune will rise a second time like the moon. After it gets dark, it comes back a second time. That's the meaning, our fortune will come back again. V'yerd b'yakoi, a new fortune. But we don't know who he is yet. Now we can speculate that this is Moshiach, but we're not sure yet. That's why Rashi doesn't say it's Moshiach. We just know it's a second power. When he gets to the next pasuk, that's why Rashi doesn't say who. When he gets to the second half of the verse, what does it say the second half of the verse? He will destroy a remnant from the city. So the first thing Rashi establishes that since the pasuk doesn't say which city, that's unfair. The Pasuk tells you he will destroy a remnant from a city. It doesn't tell you which city. 
That's really complex. And the Torah, if it's either don't say it or, or say it, or if you say it, tell us which. So it must be we're talking about a very popular city. If it doesn't say which one, it's telling you a city. It's a very. So we start looking around which popular city. So we look at the previous pasuk. In the previous pasuk, we spoke about Edom, and we're saying the city. It must be the capital of Edom, the great city of Edom. Now the Edomites I spoke many times was a city in next to the land of Israel, but later the. Edomite kingdom, which is the kingdom of Esau, was uprooted and I went over to Italy. And Rome becomes their center power of dominance. And that becomes the domineering power for the Jew. And that later translates into the, into the Christian West. And that becomes the dominating power till, till, till Moshiach times, till today. And it's saying that Moshiach will come. Wait, so, so far not Moshiach yet. So far we know that this king will destroy the remnants from the city, once we know it's Rome, then we know it's Mashiach already. Once we know it's Rome, we know it's Mashiach, because regarding to Mashiach, it says, No, it says another Pasuk, I'm sorry. It says a Pasuk that in Avadia, There won't be a remnant to the house of Esau, which is the city that we're talking about, which is Rome. It won't be a remnant from them, that's through Mashiach. So that's how we know it's Mashiach. In Pshut Eshel Mikra, that's how we know. Now to add further support for this, to add further support, Rashi also brings the Pasuk, V'yerd miyam adyam, which I asked earlier, remember I said earlier, maybe it's referring to Shlomo HaMelech. And in Tanakh, and in, in Tehillim, Rashi actually does explain it, Shlomo HaMelech. That's why Rashi adds the words, miyam adyam. Rashi doesn't just say miyam, he says from sea to sea. Because the simple meaning from sea to sea means world dominance. From the Atlantic to the Pacific. Across the entire world. Across the seas. That must mean Mashiach. Now, if it's referring to Shlomo Melech, we could answer. Because Rashi in Tehillim says, means from the Mediterranean to the Philistine Sea. So, you could mean yam and yam doesn't have to mean global. It can mean a certain area within the Middle East. But that's not so geschmack in the words miyam ad yam. You can get away with it. But since the simple meaning of sea to sea means global dominance, global dominance of all the waters of the world, that's why Rashi brings the, Rashi brings the full pasik, not just miyam. Miyam ad yam. To say from one end of the world to the other end. And that's referring to Mashiach. That's Rashi. Now let's just very briefly see how the Rambam saw. Rambam had a whole completely different take on all of this for a simple reason. Because the Rambam and Hilchasi saw the Torah, hear this, this is Gavaldik. Only the Rebbe can think of this. The Rambam and Hilchasi saw the Torah argues on the whole idea that Rashi is saying over here about a star, a star. According to the Rambam, the Rambam says that stars, that all the planets that we see in this, they all have souls. They all have souls. And the Rambam says that all the stars have intelligence. They're intelligent beings. And they know their creator. And Rambam says even more, the knowledge of the stars is greater than the knowledge of man. They're not as supreme in their knowledge like angels, 
but they're more, they're superior to human knowledge. According to that, a star, when we're speaking about a star, we're talking about a very, very high intellect. So it makes sense that if I'm talking about a, a, a superior human being that's higher than everybody else, we compare him to a star. So according to Rambam, the words Darach Kochav means a king. Kochav doesn't mean a, a mazel, good, good fortune. Kochav means a king. If Kochav means a king, then when it says, Come shave it me Yisrael, a ruling power will get up from Israel, it's again a king. Why do I need two kings? What, why does it have to speak twice about the same king? That's why Ramam says we're talking about two different kings. Already in the first Pasuk, Ramam sees two kings. Because according to Rambam, Kochav can mean a king. Because according to Rambam, where Kochav, a star, is, is, is an intelligent being and a super intelligence, so we can understand that a king is called a Kochav. In, in biblical language, a king will be called a, 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 a Kochav. So then it mentions two times a king in the verse. So it can't be speaking about the same king. So therefore, Rambam says it's talking about the two Mashiachs, two kings. Why does Rambam, it could be two kings, it can be King Saul, it can be, uh, it can be David. Why does the Rambam pick David and Moshiach? Why dafka these two kings? Maybe he's prophesizing regarding other kings. Very simple. These two kings, the fact that they're both mentioned in, in, in succession, one after the other, that shows that we're really dealing with one inherent kingdom. And that makes perfectly sense, the Rambam, according to his opinion. How does the Rambam see Mashiach? What's Mashiach all about? Mashiach is one thing. He's the restoration of the Davidic kingdom of David HaMelech. According to Rambam, Mashiach is not a new thing. Look at the words of the Rambam. The Rambam says, HaMelech HaMashiach, HaSed Lamoid, you will get up, LaHachzir Malchus Beis David, LiYoshna Hamam Shalah HaRishayna. Mashiach is going to return to the original kingdom of King David, to its original government, to its original power. Comes out that Mashiach and David are both two ends of the same coin. They're both two sides of the same coin. Um, uh, no, uh, yeah, they're two, they're, they're two parts, not even two sides. They're both, they're both, this is the beginning, this is the end. He is the, he's the founding father and he's the culmination. He's the beginning and he's the ultimate actualization. It's only different. The first one, David HaMelech only made, only established the kingdom just as he laid the foundation. It's only a cornerstone. It's not the whole thing. Ultimately, it will grow and it will grow and it will reach suddenly in the end of days its ultimate power as the ultimate kingdom in the world. God's kingdom manifest through King David. It will be the greatest kingdom ever. And that's why the first by David HaMelech, he will only dominate the Moabites. He kills the Moabim. But Humashiach, the Karkar Kobaneshes. And according to Verambam, Karkar doesn't mean he will poke. Karkar means he will he will he will he will he will dominate he will completely um, undermine he will he will rule over everybody he will shake up the entire planet because he will actually be a king over the whole world and according to Rambam then when it says Ba'achris Hayamim when Bilam is saying this prophecy it's not a minor prophecy regarding to Bullock. He's not speaking only, that's what I told you in the beginning. According to Rambam, the undercurrent of this prophecy is completely different. It's not a prophecy, hey, Bolak, let me tell you what's going to happen with your people regarding the Jews. It's a prophecy regarding the future of Israel. He's speaking about what's going to be with the Jewish people. If so, why is he telling it to Bolak now? Because he's telling Bolak, you provoked it. 
by you calling me to curse the Jewish people, I want you to know that this is not a curseable nation. Because these people are the ultimate destiny of creation. And they're going to be, and you should know what's going to happen. They're going to become big, and then maybe, maybe going to shrink and become smaller again. But in the end, whoa, are they going to rise. So he's just basically using it as an excuse because you provoked me, so I'm going to tell you. So he mentions to him as it relates to him, but mainly it's a nevuah regarding the ultimate prophecy to Jewish people. And this gives us these two perspectives on this whole, on, on how we read the psukim. Rashi sees it as primarily a detail. The achris ayamim element is not so fundamental, but in Rambam, achris ayamim, end days, this is an end day prophecy. And we're talking about two powers. We're talking about the power of, 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 of Yaakov, and we're talking about the power of Yisrael, and these are two complete different powers. I'm sorry, it's one, it's one power, but it has its initial stage, which is David HaMelech, and it has its completion and ultimate realization, which is Mashiach Tzedkeinu. Together they form the ultimate Davidic kingdom. Now that we have extrapolated according to clarity in the Chumash, on these two Mashiach, so now when it comes to the 17th of Tammuz, uh, this Shabbos, there's no problem because Mashiach is revealed already. So let the Golos crumble and fall apart and dissipate in the powerful Mashiach light that so truly is already shining from one corner of the earth to the other corner of the earth. Hashem should only give us the schus, all of us, to have the merit to already be able to see Mashiach, to identify Mashiach Tzadkeinu already. Not to be blinded and recognize what's going on, who Mashiach is, where he is, and what's happening. We should already see the full light of this infinite and boundless tzaddik that's going to shine the light across the entire world, pick up the entire world, transform, eradicate evil forever and ever, bring all the Jewish people to Eretz Yisrael and build the Beis Hamikdash. And as I'm telling you, it's already present and current and here, it's just still a little blurry. And may Hashem help that the clarity that we brought tonight to this subject should help in further clear the way for Melech HaMashiach to fully, fully redeem the Jewish people. And to, as we said over here, uh, to the karkar kolbenesheis to com- com- clean up the entire world, purify all of creation, and prepare the world for the ultimate realization of Yom Shekulei Shabbos. May it happen now. <laughs> Freilich, Liedele, 
Bayern, denkt mit mir und naschir, die dem lebendigen Gott. Denkt mit mir, tanzt mit mir, die dem lebendigen Gott.